Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. Cybercrime and digital warfare. How do we get tech-savvy to secure our lives online? Today, I'm joined by Yuval Yuram, Senior Lecturer and Expert in Creating Trustworthy Computer Systems and Russell Brewer, Senior Lecturer in Criminology and Investigator with the Digital Youth Research Lab. Hi. Hi. Hello. The technology around us is continuing to evolve and now, more than ever, the way we behave online can have drastic consequences. So who can we trust online and how do we prevent our information falling into the wrong hands in this brave new digital world? Can we do more to prevent cybercrime? And for those of us with kids, how do we protect their online lives? So, Yuval, maybe we can start with you. So, how is our technology evolving and do we really need cybersecurity? Well, uh, everyone knows now that we're working with, on the internet, uh, we are moving our uh, information online, uh, we are handling our banking online, we are handling our education online these days. Uh, everything is moving online. People even are talking about the possibility of moving elections online. <laughs> and uh, Donald Trump doesn't support that, though. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he probably might. Um, the uh, and once we move that information online, we are exposing it to uh, the risks that come with that. And these are the fact that. We don't really know who we are communicating with. That's one side. And the other side is that um, we don't know how to build the, uh, or how to secure this information online. It's just a new uh, a paradigm and uh, we have not built the hundred of years of experience of protecting this information. So it's that, that trust element online that really, really we haven't evolved the trust systems to to validate the, the, those online systems? It's, uh, trust is uh, it's, uh, one important part of that. Uh, even the question of identity, who are we talking with online? We don't know. Yeah. And, so, and, and some of your work is looking at some of the, uh, the, the computer systems and some of the potential flaws with the computer systems and how that relates to security. Tell us a bit about that. So uh, the way that we try to build security into a computer a software and hardware is uh, we try to maintain some capsules around information. and So protective capsules. Protective capsules, yeah. yes. It's a nice way to think about it. Yes. Yeah. And uh, to be able to isolate, we, we build the computer systems as layers of uh, hardware and then on top of that uh, operating system and software and the uh, more advanced software and, and each of these layers relies on the layers underneath it. And in my work I uh, investigate the capability of the hardware itself, so of the CPU or the, the processor inside the, the computer uh, to maintain this isolation that it promises us to maintain. So it's, it's a the kind of architecture of the computer and it's the, able to keep separate these different uh, information protective bubbles uh, uh, that, that are floating around. Indeed, exactly that. Yeah, and uh, so, and, and this is with uh, laptops and with mainframes, uh, you work with all systems. It's, um, well, the flaws that we have discovered are in possibly every uh, 
mainstream process all designed in the last uh, 20 years. <laughs> so you're kind of a, you're a reverse hacker then, are you? You're kind of trying to identify where the flaws occur within these systems so that hacking can't penetrate them. Yeah, we, we tend to call that white hat. Oh, white hat, okay. <laughs> so you're a white hatter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're working with uh, some major computer companies for these, these systems? So uh, when we find problems, we disclose them to the, uh, the vendors. Uh, the main one I'm currently working with is Intel, uh, particularly because their um, systems are more accessible and they, so we, we have experience with those. Yeah, Good. and they'll have their own uh, departments, I guess, as well, and uh, their own people to, to find these, but really to be tested externally, and uh, it, it is, is very important, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, uh, and do you tend to find that uh, computer companies take on board some of uh, the findings that you have and then change their systems? Um, experience varies. Uh, most of the big uh, vendors are really good at that. So they do take uh, information on board, they do try to fix or they do fix. Uh, and yeah. In some cases it's a long process. So Intel cannot replace the contents of a chip that is in people's computer. but next generation will be better. So, so what, what do we do about it so, to, so that we don't get uh, exposed to old technology that you're able to, <laughs> uh, to hack? Do we need to buy you know, new phones and new computers every three months? What do, uh, what do we do? Um, well, uh, we have fixes that are able to protect people, uh, even at software. So there is no necessity to replace computers every three months. Uh, but there is a necessity to update the software to make sure that it is secure because security vulnerabilities keep being discovered. This is something that happens uh, in software in general. So there is nothing special that needs to be done because of the things that we discover, at least not at the level of the everyday uh, protection. Companies, uh, software developers, yes, they need to address that. But the average person just need to keep the same uh, behavior. Just have to, so when, when it pops up and says uh, uh, you've got to update your computer system, update your software, you just have to say yes and yeah. do that. I mean, it's a bit like, uh, so I'm uh, uh, trained in evolutionary biology and we have this principle called the Red Queen effect. So from Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen was constantly running to keep up. And it's, it's uh, uh, given uh, as an analogy to systems between predators and prey. So uh, prey may uh, get a new system to be able to outrun the predator and then the predator uh, develops a new system uh, or, or new evolution to be able to uh, pursue the prey. I mean, it's exactly this, this issue in computers between the hackers and then uh, the, the, the information holders that is this constant uh, play between the, the sophistication uh, uh, on the two sides, isn't it? It is. Uh, well. When, when defense systems get more advanced, attackers improve and vice versa. So, yes, continue this arms race. Yeah, so it's never going to stop. We're going to keep evolving and changing those systems because there will always be some kind of flaw. And, but the, the important thing is that we're able to keep ahead of that uh, uh, to prevent that, that hacking. Um, we need to continue. We need to keep ahead. Um, I don't see a fix for the issue or there is no magic bullet that will fix this in the near uh, foreseeable future. 
Um, we tend to think that we are getting better. We are much more secure than we were 20 years ago. Uh, the flip side is that uh, the information that we have online is much more valuable than it were 20 years ago. So uh, people invest more in getting access to it. And, to, and so yeah. basically we are uh, the Red Queen running to keep in the same place. But now the stakes are even higher. And then you've got to remember all those passwords. So, uh, you know, uh, and you have so many passwords, some people have a file with their passwords on, which surely defeats uh, the purpose. Um, not necessarily. <laughs> it's, uh, that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, it, it is probably the, uh, much better than uh, having the same password everywhere. Oh, okay. So I shouldn't do that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what about, uh, you know, what about um, uh, fingerprints or... Uh, some other kind of biometric uh, system that may be used. How, how secure are those? Uh, well, they are, they have their different, different issues. So everything that we do is improving things. Uh, biometric uh, have, one main issue that exists with biometric uh, identification is that if your password leak, you can, you can change it. If your fingerprint leaks, then you're stuck with it. Okay. And uh, and then I guess you got ten fingers. Mm, <laughs> yeah. And uh, fingerprints uh, do leak. So there was the case of a, a, a I think it was German minister that from photo online someone managed to recover the fingerprints. Wow. Okay. So it can be done. So uh, a good password, secure password, not uh, the same password for every system. Uh, so, so varying those, but keeping track of that and the changing dynamic is, is, is always going to be a problem, isn't it's it? It's always going to be a problem. We're all human and uh, forget things. <laughs> so there is a move online to try to reduce the number of passwords. When we use uh, Facebook to identify us to other websites, we only need one password for Facebook. Um, but then we have to trust Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> and therein the problem lies. And, well, Facebook or anyone else, actually, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right. So, uh, look, we uh, talked about uh, Facebook. Russell, maybe we can talk a little sure. bit about, uh, you know, some of the problems with uh, youth uh, online. You know, we all moan about our kids spending too much time on screen, yeah. screen time, and there's uh, not getting out and playing outside. You know, and that's a perennial uh, kind of issue. It's probably around before computers and uh, TV and stuff. But um, uh, what, what are some of the other kind of more critical problems uh, that, that youths face in this kind of brave new world uh, online? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, when we think about young people online, we often categorize them uh, when we hear about them in the media or even in research. We, we think about young people as, as potential victims of crime, as being pot potentially vulnerable to various nefarious activities online. And we don't necessarily, unless you go into a school and talk to a teacher, you don't we don't necessarily hear about or think about young people as perpetrators of crime. So I think it's, it's very important to look at both sides of the coin. And the reality is such is that we don't really 
know a lot about the factors that are driving different types of behavior, whether or not it's factors that might lead them to be vic young people to be victimized, or really anybody to be victimized, or the drivers that might lead young people to be perpetrators of particular types of crime, so, or, or various forms of cyber deviance. So I think... Um, Hang on a minute, Russell, I'm going to have to... Cyber sure. deviance, what is, what, what is that? So when, when I use the term cyber deviance, I'm thinking about, again, that, that people as perpetrators, or young people as perpetrators of crime online, right? And I mean, when we talk about cyber crime, we're, we're actually thinking about two different types of crime, that being cyber dependent crime or cyber enabled crime, right? So these are either crimes that could, can occur through the use of a computer only, something like hacking, or something that is facilitated by a computer, right? So cyber bullying, you know, kids have been bullying kids for, as long as there were kids, right? But now the internet the or digital devices, digital communication devices change the way in which we interact as humans can augment and amplify the ways in which that we interact as humans. And you know, that can transcend into a, a delinquent or deviant context. So when I talk about cyber deviance, I'm thinking about a wide range of activities, you know, what you might think of when you think about cybercrime, hacking, but things like bullying, harassment, stalking, engaging, in various forms of cyber hate, cyber violence, engaging in sexual activities online, sexual exploration, deception, fraud, um, and a wide range of, of different other activities that young people might engage in. So all of these activities which uh, you tend to go through as you're, you're growing up, they've moved Absolutely. on to the online uh, Absolutely. Kind of forum. Absolutely. So, so your work kind of explores this, or is your work also looking at some of the solutions? Yeah, uh, look, so we're, in, we're, we're at the, at the kind of Coalface, what we're, well, at the tail end of it, what we're actually interested in is trying to think about effective interventions. So if we're, we think about young people engaging in various forms of cyber delinquency, how can we prevent, how can we intervene, how can we reduce the um, impact or reduce the, the rate at which young people engage in various types of delinquent activities? Now, the only way to, the, the reality is such is that the evidence base for Oh, most of the strategies that are out there right now, we don't actually know if they work or not. There is no evidence base that we're kind of throwing things against the wall. Because it's and so we're new. If they stink. It's so many new problems. We haven't really had this exactly. problem before, so we're not sure what works. So we bring old tech to a new tech. Exactly, problem, exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of trial and error. Yeah. And what we are doing is we're taking a step back and we're looking at the factors, the various risk factors that might drive engagement in a wide range of different types of behavior. And then we are starting to think about developing interventions that target those risk factors specifically, right? So it's not just a matter of throwing everything against the wall and see what sticks, <laughs> but it's actually creating targeted approaches that, you know, you need to uh, attend to cyberbullying different than you attend to hacking, than you attend to fraud and deception, than you intend to um, image-based abuse or sexting. So these activities you need, need to be tailor-made to specific types of risk factors. And that's what our research ex is exploring, that well, different types of cyber deviants have different forms of risk factors that are driving them. So maybe give us a bit, bit of an example of how you would deal with hacking versus cyberbullying, for example. That's a good question. So look, what, one of the things that we're particularly interested in our research is mapping the progression into and out of various forms of um, cyber delinquency over a period of time. We know that young people 
don't just become hackers or they don't just start bullying using technology that you might have at the beginning more of a timid encounter that you might test the waters as you might as you're testing the waters you may see and well you will see that some young people tend to escalate in their activities very quickly some do so much more slowly or gradually some test the waters pull back de-escalate and never engage in those sorts of activities again so it's also about mapping those different trajectories and we see that uh, you have different classes of young people that engage in a wide variety of offending in different types of offending or then you've got abstainers as well who barely ever engage in different types of activities as well so so look um, it's very early day very very early days I mean the study that the longitudinal that we're study that we're running across South Australia right now is actually the first longitudinal study of young people in the world um, that's starting to unpack these different risk factors. So we're really, literally last week, we're just starting to pull out some of the different risk factors and seeing that there are differences between you know, hackers and those engaging in, in sexting or image-based abuse that, that you know, some may relate to different sort forms of behavioral functioning, others um, are more associated with different demographic characteristics, the links between how people use their technology and different forms of cyber offending or cyber deviance are, are um, particularly strong. So the extent to which young people are engaging in a wide range of, we call them routine tasks, the everyday tasks, the Googling, um, or social tasks, messaging one another, sharing photos, sharing videos, text messaging, um, or, or more specialized tasks like sharing files online, browsing web forums, using anonymization software like Tor, that these, the types of things that young people do online are strongly associated with different types of activities or cyber delinquency yeah. or deviance. But and I guess those uh, behaviours that you see, I mean, you're a criminologist by yeah. background. Yeah. Uh, th th those types of behaviours you would see in any kind of criminal uh, or subversive uh, activity. It's just it's being moved online uh, through the online tools. And the, the problem is that this is often new technology. Parents may not have a particularly sophisticated understanding uh, in that context. So some of this activity can go undetected yeah. uh, uh, well, for in, long periods of time. One of the most interesting findings we found to date are the is the overlap between online deviance and offline deviance. Okay. Right? So what we Does it translate? Well what we know <laughs> is the vast, 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 in fact almost all young people who engage in physical deviance, so real world deviance, engage in cyber deviance as well. Okay. So bullying on and offline, you yeah. were bullied. But That's, what we know yeah. is there's a much wider cohort yeah. of young people who engage in cyber deviance, but not in physical deviance. So the pie has grown <laughs> considerably. So why is that? Is, there, is, is it potentially because you can get away with it? Online? Well, look, what we argue in our research is that the internet and digital technologies, it makes it easy. Right, that we have got this magic device in our pocket that is that we can suddenly do whatever we want. It's always going off. That we can we can um, Google whatever we want. It's never been easier to access resources that might assist us in various areas. 
it, these tools can be used to augment and amplify real-world situations, right? Previously, in order to, to bully somebody, I might have to be in the same classroom or I might need to be in the playground with them. Um, whereas now, I can do it from particularly relevant in this pandemic that I can sit in the comfort of my own home. At, I could be sitting at the dinner table with my parents and bullying somebody using my technology. So suddenly, the, yeah. the technology can amplify and augment what we're doing online. Then we've got the, the issue of the technology is actually pushing information to us. You know, this notion that engagement in cyber deviance, it might not be purposeful, right? That in fact, these platforms are pushing information at us, you know, in terms of as we're, we're you know, throw, scrolling through a, a Facebook feed or a TikTok feed, you know, these feeds are, they are dynamic, they're changing. They are changing on the basis of what I have watched previously, yep. right? So if I watch, for example, a, a uh, I stop scrolling on a video that might be construed as, as, as violent, you know, the algorithms may decide that, okay, well, you know, we want to keep these eyeballs on the screen, they're going to feed me much more of the same. What are my friends watching? You know, there's a, imagine what your feed would look like if you were a 13, 14 year old boy, <laughs> right? And that these, these, don't really want to think Systems that, yeah. are pushing <laughs> that information to you. So we actually suggest that a lot of engagement or the onset is actually unpredictable, that these platforms, these systems are, are nudging individuals, young people in particular directions. Because they're, they're feeding back and, uh, yeah, feeding back content that may have uh, just been started out as a bit of an exploration or yep. a bit of interest, yep. and then that's the only information. That's well, it's, it's part of the, yeah, ad yeah. the adolescent condition, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, risk-taking risk is, is, is and negotiating your place in the world, exploring yourself sexually, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. These are, all, these are all part and parcel of our adolescent development. So, you know, having a phone in your pocket can, can really change the game. And it's just another mechanism for which young people can explore that development, but again, it makes it easy yep. to cross that line, to cross that threshold, and potentially engage in something that maybe you shouldn't have, and to amplify that experience. And normalize it a little yeah. bit as well. So, uh, so, you know, we've, we've talked a bit about the problems. What, what can we do about it? What's, what kind of systems are in place to, to, help, to help young people find a, a healthy way through that kind of exploration phase of life, which I'm sure we've all been through, and then into a kind of, well, this is, this is, uh, this is more normal, this is a, 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 an ex, you know, a part, of, part of how you grow up and move on. The, the problem is that you could become fixed in mm. some of these exploration mm. phases. So, so how do we cope with that? How do we prevent well, look, or manage that? This is that? not a very exciting answer, unfortunately. <laughs> That's but, right. But what we need to do is we need to, after we've understood what these risk factors are, we need to design and then we have design interventions and then we need to evaluate them longitudinally. So again, it's still quite new, so we don't really necessarily don't have solutions. Quite, right, yeah. I mean, at this point, we're in wave three of a five-wave research project. And this um, is the big project from, that you talked about. This is a big about. project yeah, yeah. across yeah. Um, South Australian high schools where we are, or secondary schools, where we are uh, mapping what young people are doing online and they're in, how they use their technologies and again, what various forms of, of cyber deviance that they might be engaging with. And we're interested in, in measuring changes or changing risk profiles over time. We're mapping this across a variety of vectors, that being both the, the variety of different activities that young people are engaging in or 
various forms of cyber deviance, but also the frequency at which they're engaging in it as well, right? So I might engage in hacking once over the course of the past year in year one, but in year two I might engage in a variety of forms of hacking, or I might do that single activity more frequently. So that would denote a form of escalation. So we're interested in identifying, you know, what are the factors that are driving escalation, but also what are the factors that are driving de-escalation and desistance. So that is stopping the activity entirely. Well, so onset, escalation, de-escalation, and desistance is what we're interested in. And when we, once we start to identify what those factors are that are driving these behaviors, then we can start to design interventions and uh, implement those interventions through using experimental methodologies. Um, and, uh, and you can do that as a, um, you know, these can be interventions that we deploy across, you know, they could be public advertising campaigns that you deploy widely across the populace. They could be more targeted, so you identify young people who exhibit particular risk factors and target them specifically, then you need to run these interventions and then you have to evaluate these interventions to determine the immediate benefits, the short-term benefits, you know, so six months, one year, two years, um, and then the long-term, what, what kind of benefits persist beyond two years. And in fact, most evaluations, you know, if you're going to measure something for two years, you actually have to conduct that research for, for many, many, many years, right? Yeah. At least two years. Right, so we need to identify, we need to develop and identify interventions that uh, persist over a long period of time to determine whether or not they work or not. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. that's, that, that work simply hasn't been done. So in fact, some of my PhD students in my lab are specifically designing interventions around cyberbullying, that she's starting to unpack some of the risk factors that are associated with cyberbullying, and now she's starting to think about different interventions that can target those specific risk factors, address them, and then implement and measure the effects over a long period of time. And that's the kind of work, it's not necessarily the sexiest of work, but it is the most effective way to make a meaningful impact. And I guess we've got strategies to deal with bullying. The, the first uh, stage is to recognize that it's happening and understanding Absolutely. that it's happening and then deal with it through this, you know, the school and home situation. So you know, we do have those systems, but I guess your research is then looking at how do we prevent uh, the, the amplification of that yep. through kind of all, uh, online algorithms and, and the yep. search. And is it, are they the yeah. same people that are engaging? Yeah. Right? That yep. the, the, and in fact, we would argue that they're not that you've got a wider cohort of yeah, young okay. people who are engaging in cyberbullying that did not necessarily engage in physical, more physical forms of bullying. So another, uh, another question that uh, comes up, you know, we see, hear a lot about fake news and uh, th th those kind of issues, but really online, you know, who do we trust with our information and where do we get trusted information from? So, you know, we talked a bit, Yuval, um, around trust and the, the trust things, I guess, with, uh, with online as well, that lack of the kind of <laughs> trust network and framework uh, allows some of these activities to, to, to go unchecked. But, you know, we, we, we're able to get a, a broad range of information, you know, uh, and we might be served up with information that comes from the ABC that might be a trusted uh, source uh, in, in some aspects. Uh, and then that might be presented alongside information that's coming from, you know, the Flat Earth Society or, or something like that. So where, where do we go to for, for trusted information? I wish I had an answer <laughs> to that. Um, <laughs> I hope that the information I get is trustworthy. <laughs> yeah. so. 
And this is really one of the problems that we're facing. Um, I, I, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. And uh, Russell, where, where would you go for trusted information? Gosh, that is a, that's a challenging question. I mean, there are obviously reputable news sources which which we trust that will will provide, depending on your um, your preferences, will will uh, be consistent with with your worldview. Um, it's it's you're probably it's still going to choose those sources. Yeah, that's you're right. probably still going to choose those sources, yeah. and it's it's really hard to say that you you um, don't believe. What you see online, it's very easy to manipulate videos and images and text and websites, and and you need to be careful and you need to be vigilant. And um, don't believe what you read when you click on a link. Is what I would what I would suggest. In the same way that you know, don't believe everything that you see on TV, right? Um, but I think on the internet, you need to be even more even more vigilant. So I've got to be careful of web naivety and uh, overcome that. So I have a final question for you, for you both. Um, so for, for students that are potentially coming, coming into university and, and starting a university career, where are the kind of horizons of research and investigation and study that will be coming up in three to five years? So where, where do you think this area is going to go to? And where, where do you think those kind of future challenges or uh, kind of horizon work, where, where, where's, where's that going to be at? I mean, in terms of, I, I think that this is such an exciting and interesting domain of study. To use a baseball reference, um, we're in the bottom of the very first inning in terms of, of understanding why individuals commit cybercrime, why individuals are victims of cybercrime. And, and um, one thing that I think social sciences and, and computer science has, has done quite poorly to date is actually work together. So, so what we're, we're seeing more integration between the um, you know, STEM and the social sciences, which are leading to a wide variety of really interesting and innovative research projects that are, are starting to tackle some of the most pernicious problems of our time. You know, the, the internet has, has um, again, made it easy to engage in a wide variety, amplified and and extended a wide variety of different and serious criminal activities, you know, less serious forms of adolescent delinquency, more serious forms of, of delinquency um, and deviance full stop. So I think that there are, um, you know, and this is an area that is, is changing very, very quickly and it requires serious attention and it's receiving um, some pretty serious uh, attention from governments around the world. They're starting to take notice and there's a lot of investment in these areas and as a consequence there is a lot of scope for some really good innovative and novel research to be undertaken. Yeah. It's uh, interesting it's the, for the technical side it's basically the same answer. Uh, we have been trying to secure systems for many years and we are still learning um, how, how to do that. So uh, how, how do we create environments where programmers um, do not need to know the rules for creating secure programs, but the environment ensures that the programs they create are secure. And um, we are moving ahead, but that's an area that will continue to develop uh, for the near future, definitely. Yeah. It was okay when we were just social or just technology, but it's the collision between the social and the technology. So, you know, social technology that's coming up. Well, thanks for a, a fascinating discussion uh, and thanks for being on the Discovery Pod.
Thank you very Thank much you for having us. Thanks for listening to The Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss genetically modified foods.